Right, and good morning, Ridgepoint Church. How are you doing this morning? Good, man. We're glad that you're here. We're kicking off a lot of exciting new things this morning. I'll get to all that in a second. And I know there's a lot of people that are excited this morning. There's a lot of passion and energy this morning. Uh, but also in the midst of life, that sometimes life can be challenging. And, and, and there's people that are coming into church or coming into, into life this morning. And, and there's heartache and there's pain. And, and our hope is that through all of what we do on a Sunday morning, that you can experience the hope and the presence of Jesus in your life, and that's why we exist as a church. Uh, so if you're going through that this morning, man, my prayer is that this morning you'd experience the hope that's found in Jesus. But we really are excited uh, to be kicking off some brand new stuff this morning, uh, a new series, but some other things we're going to be sharing that I'm excited to share kind of at the beginning of the message. Uh, for the last couple of weeks, we've been in a transition, and people have been asking, what's the next step uh, for us when it comes to student ministry? And we said, man, we're, we're going to get there. We're going to start making some announcements about that. So we're starting to announce that beginning today. Uh, we're gonna, we're, we've taken a little bit of a hiatus as we start to get our, our ducks in a row when it comes to student ministry. But here's the thing. We have a history here at Ridgepoint Church of having one of the most engaging student ministries in this area. And we want to see it get back to that level. And in order for that to do that, we want to see more volunteer participation. Uh, so if you want to help out at all, we're going to have a meeting two weeks from today. Uh, that's, that's May 19th, two weeks from today after the, this service. Uh, we're going to meet to start to talk about what youth ministry looks like. Uh, I'm excited to share some things that, that we see, but also to partner with some people who say, yes, we want to see student ministry in Ridgepoint Church reach its potential. So two weeks from today, May 19th, we're going to talk about Ridgepoint students and what that looks like moving forward. And, and as we kind of have that team together, we'll start talking about what this summer looks like. So again, if you're a parent of a middle school or high school student, if you're a middle school, high school student yourself, or if you're just interested in finding out more information, we're going to be having a leaders meeting May 19th to begin talking about what the future looks like. The second thing we're really excited because we have as one of the pillars of what we want to accomplish as a church is that we want to be able to do whatever it takes to reach people for Jesus. We say, man, that's our goal, whether it's students, whether it's children, whether it's adults. We say we want to do whatever it takes to reach as many people for Jesus as possible. And one of the numbers that we've seen for the last couple of years is that 22% of the people that live in our area are Hispanic or Latino families, and many of those homes don't, have, they don't speak English within the homes. And so we've been looking for the right uh, church to partnership with to, to say, man, we want to be able to do our best to reach as many people as possible. Uh, God brought it out about these crazy set of circumstances for me to meet Pastor Jonathan. If you make your way up here, everybody please welcome Pastor Jonathan as he comes up to the stage. This is Jonathan Morales and his wife, Riza, and then his family here as well. Uh, and so we've been talking for just a little bit, but I'd love to, to hear this, this brother's heart, to hear his, his passion to reach people. Uh, he leads a church that was meeting right down the road, Casa de Levi, and, and they kind of came and said, we're looking for a new place to meet. And so we've entered an agreement to say, man, we want to help you out as best we can. And so starting today, they're going to start meeting here on campus at Ridgepoint Church. Uh, so we're really excited about that. So I want to give him a chance to kind of share his heart a little bit and then pray for them as a family and as a church. Amen. Hallelujah. Yes. God bless you all. My, like Pastor JJ said, my name is Jonathan Morales. With me is my family. I'm going to ask them to stand. So they weren't they, excited about coming up on stage with him. But. They were not too excited to be on stage. I'm almost kind of used to it, you know, from preaching every Sundays and Tuesdays, but it's always get a little nervous, you know, to meet new people. Uh, and really, I would just want to thank Pastor JJ 
his trustees, all the members for giving us the opportunity to be able to reach out the families in these areas of Winter Haven. And uh, that is our main goal, to reach as much lives for Jesus as we can. Amen? Amen. That's the purpose of God's calling for us and my family, uh, to reach out the people, let them know that Christ saves, heals, and wants to save their lives. Amen? That's, Amen. that's our Amen. main goal. That's Amen. our main purpose. And we're very honored and grateful for you guys to giving us the opportunity to be able to uh, partnership with you guys and, 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 and worship the Lord here right next door. Yes, Amen. that's right. Once right again, now they're Pastor, meeting over in the portable. They have about a dozen, 15 people that are meeting right now, but who knows what the future is going to bring. So we're excited about Amen. that. Amen. So thank you so much. Thank you, Let's go ahead and pray for them right now. Uh, Father, again, we rejoice in the way that you work in people's lives. God, I thank you for Pastor Jonathan, for Casa de Levi, and, and for the ministry that they're trying to, to really launch out here now at Ridgepoint Church. God, I pray that you would provide for them in a supernatural way. Uh, God, I, I, I believe that there's a huge mission field right in this area, in Janfield Village, that they could reach with this incredible message that Jesus died for them, and that he, by his resurrection, he pronounced victory over sin, death, and the grave. Uh, God, I pray that your spirit would lead them and guide them. God, I pray they'd reach many people for Jesus. And in his name we pray, amen. Again, give it up for my friend, Pastor Jonathan. Man, uh, so exciting. And that's in the midst of everything else that's going on this week is, I think it's Teacher Appreciation Week. It's like Nurses Appreciation Week. It's like all this stuff is happening at once. We'll be back at Arbonne High School uh, this coming Tuesday, appreciating and loving our teachers. But if you know people that work in either of those fields, they're some of the most underappreciated, undervalued people in our culture. Let them know this week how much you really do love and appreciate them. Uh, and like they said, a bass tournament's right around the corner. There's a lot of stuff that's happening. But today I get the privilege to kick off a brand new series. And really something we do, not, not often, but from time to time here at Ridgepoint Church, is that we're launching into something different this morning and that we're going to do four separate series going through the entire book of Philippians. Uh, the way it's going to work out is we'll do three chapters cons consecutively, which will take us through the summer, and then as we get to the fall, we'll do some group stuff, and then wrap up later on in the fall with chapter four. So we'll be a little bit of a break, but for the most part, we'll be walking through the book of Philippians. So I'm going to ask you to do something, especially if you're a regularly part of Ridgepoint Church. I know I do this all the time, is that it's really convenient. I have my Bible on my phone. And so it's really convenient to have that with you. But if you really like to get in and study, I'd encourage you for the next couple of months, if you like to study, have a hard copy of the Bible to bring that with you. If not, that's fine. We have our phones. The words appear up on the screen. But if you want to get a little bit deeper and in, in study and circle stuff, I know from time to time, I love to do that. So I'd encourage you, if that's kind of where you're at, to be able to do that. But today we launch out, we're breaking this up into four different series. The first, the first chapter is a, a kind of these two words that are dichotomous words. It means they have different meanings. Uh, this idea of imprisoned and free. You see, a lot of times when we look at things, especially when it comes to things that have to do with uh, important topics in our life, what we think we want isn't the thing that we actually want. And this is true about a lot of different walks of our life. For instance... Probably about the time that you turned 18 years old, you started to discover that life was starting to give you certain freedoms. You're starting to have to make some choices that were a little bit more adult choices, and you have to figure out relationships on your own, figure out finances, someone on your own. And about that time is, at least in my life, when I started to get all of these letters in the mail offering me a chance to apply for a credit card. 
Yeah, remember what that was like? Like, you started getting these, you're like, they're crazy. Why would they give me credit? I'm just out of high school. But I remember, now this was back in the day, the young people, the students might not recognize this, but there used to be a day when they couldn't figure out your credit score right on the spot, so you'd have to mail in the letter, and it would take them a couple weeks. And, and so they'd always have these stations set up at, like, sporting events and different things where they would be advertising, hey, if you sign up for a credit card today, you'll get something free. And there's always stuff that I didn't care about until I went to a Tampa Bay Lightning game. And they had an ESPN MasterCard they were advertising. And if you signed up, they gave you a giant ESPN beach blanket, like a, a huge beach towel. And I thought at the time, I'm like, well, they're not going to give me the credit card anyway. I'm just going to fill out this stuff because they said, hey, just sign up. I'm like, they're not going to give me a credit card anyway. So I fill it out. And little did I know that two or three weeks later, I get a credit card in the mail. Yeah. Like, do, do y'all remember what that was like? Or is it just me? You remember what that was like? Like all of a sudden, it felt like you had freedom. Like all of a sudden, because it wasn't like you could get in a lot of trouble, your credit limit was like $250. So it wasn't like you could get in a lot of trouble, but for a young kid who is just out of high school, your friends were going out to the movies today. And now you didn't have to worry about, do I have enough money in the account? Because I have my credit card and it's only $10. I can pay it back next week. And there are people in our life that started to speak truth in our life. And they started to caution us. Say, so don't put that stuff on credit. Don't, don't do that. It's going it's to become this slippery slope. And, and at that point, we thought we knew it all. And we thought, it's not that bad. I'm going to take care of it. See, in life, the things that we think bring freedom today often bring shackles tomorrow. When those people started to speak truth in our life and say, hey, you don't want to put that stuff on credit, we thought, well, they're just a stick in the mud. They don't want to have fun. And so we said, we can figure this all out. And it's true about not just about finances. It makes sense when it comes to finances, but it's true about a lot of things that if we think right now that we can experience freedom in our relationships, if we think right now that we can experience freedom when it comes to our finances, when it comes to our, our work schedule, we think, well, I can just make this up as I go. I want to experience freedom today. And when we experience what we think is freedom today, it normally brings shackles in our life tomorrow. And we make this exchange. We say, I'm willing to, when we're young and when we're immature, we say, I'm willing to exchange some pressure tomorrow for some freedom today. And we go and we get ourselves in trouble when it comes to our finances. We get ourselves in trouble when it comes to our relationships. We get ourselves in trouble. We graduate from high school. And we think, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to figure life out. I'm going to go and I'm going to explore for a little bit and kind of go do my thing. And I'll figure life out in a little while because I want to experience freedom today. And 10 years later, we're paying for it. You see, for some of us, we learned a hard and valuable lesson. Because at some point, we got that credit card. We said it's only a $250 credit limit. We can't get in that much trouble. And before we know it, the credit limit becomes our minimum payment. And we're wondering, how, how did we get here? Like, how did, how did all of this happen? And don't worry, this isn't a message on finances. But finances are very applicable to life. Because for you and I, we have a tendency when it comes to today to make decisions because we want to experience what we think is freedom today. And we end up paying for it in the long run. Meanwhile, had we listened to our parents, had we listened to our high school economics teacher, 
Had we listened to Dave Ramsey yelling at us, live like no one else, had we listened to all of that advice that we received when we were younger and we said, we're going to tighten up and be more restricted now, what that meant is as we started to become a little bit older, we started to experience freedom. Paul enters into this this discussion as he writes the book of Philippians to say, hey, sometimes the things that you think that you want are not what you want at all. So we're going to begin looking at this, and there's a series of these statements that that seem to be opposite of each other. He says things like, uh, to to live is Christ and to die is gain. He has all these statements where he uses these two words that are kind of juxtaposed to each other to say, I know you think you want this, but for you to set your long-term goals and where you want to be, what you actually want is this. We can live, quote-unquote, freely now and live in imprisonment for the remainder of our, of our years, or we can say when it comes to things that are really important, when it comes to things that are really valuable, I want to make a significant sacrifice now so that I can live much better later. Let me give another practical application when it comes to our health. You can go and do whatever you want now. You can eat the things that you want and not exercise now. But we're sacrificing our later. We're living in freedom now. Go and do what you want now. And later on, you're going to pay the price. And so Paul enters in with this practical discourse to the early church. They say, hey, let's flip things around a little bit. I know that you think that what you want is freedom, but, but I'm experiencing, and as Paul's writing this, let's get into Philippians a little bit. As Paul's writing this, Paul's actually writing this from a jail. We know that by what we're going to read in a little bit. We know for sure that he's writing from a jail because he was out preaching Jesus. Now, to, to give a little bit of the backstory, Paul early on in his life was directly opposed to Christianity. He was one that was against the church. He was persecuting the church until Jesus shows up and he changes his life. And Paul becomes probably the greatest missionary the world's ever seen. He says, I want to make sure that the whole world is, is resonating with this message that, that Jesus is alive and that he loves them. And, 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 and God took him from hating the church to be one of the greatest ambassadors from the, for the church. and says, man, I want to make sure that this message is resonating with the world around me. I want to make sure that everywhere I go, that people know who Jesus is. And so Paul starts to go out and he starts to, to go on these journeys, these missionary journeys. There are three major missionary journeys that he goes on. And what he would do is he would gather up some of his friends and they'd go on these, these journeys together. And as they'd go on these journeys together, they would start to plant churches, and they would come into a particular area, and they'd plant a church. They'd help get it to launch, and then he'd provide leadership there, and he'd go to the next spot and the next spot, and he would, he would do these on these on this journeys that he took. And he took a first missionary journey, and he came home, and he took a second missionary journey, and during that second missionary journey, Paul plants a church in this very important town called Philippi. He plants a church, he provides leadership, and, and then he leaves, and he goes on a third missionary journey. And it's believed that after he's on the journey, he's imprisoned. He's imprisoned a couple of times in his life. But it's during this point that we believe that he's imprisoned in Rome that he actually writes this letter back to the church at Philippi. And he says, hey, church, I've heard some things about what's going on, and now I want to write back and, and have some discussions about some things because this is really for, for what Paul writes a lot of times Paul would go and plant a church and he'd get a word back and say, hey, they're messing things up. This isn't really that type of letter. 
This is really more a letter of encouragement. Paul saying, hey, I've heard some incredible things. And by the way, thank you for the way that you're supporting us. Thank you for the way that you're watching out for us. And the thing is, is that there's one word that, that kind of summarizes what this whole book is about. And that word is the word joy. We don't have time to look at all of them, but if we just went through uh, chapter 1, we would see in, in four different spots the word joy or rejoicing that's used. In ch- chapter 1, verse 4, it says, and we'll get to this in a second, but he says, always in every prayer of mine, for y'all making my prayer with joy. Down in verse 18, it says, Christ is proclaimed in, 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 in that we rejoice. The later part of that verse, he says, yes, I will rejoice. Down in verse 25, he says, for your progress and joy in the faith. Now, here's the thing that we see is that Paul is writing, expressing this idea of discovering joy or rejoicing while he's in jail. I'm not going to ask this question out loud at Ridgepoint Church about who's been in jail before because I might get some hand raised. I don't need to know that. But I would venture to guess that if we're in prison, especially if we're in prison for doing something that we thought was right, that our response, naturally speaking, wouldn't be a response of joy. We might sit in our cell and we might grumble and complain and say, I can't believe that I try to do the right thing here and this is how things ended up. We'd be frustrated and we'd just be missing home and lonely and all those things. But as Paul starts to write out this letter that we know for sure was written from this prison, he expresses this idea of joy. And here's the thing, and this is what maturity starts to bring in our life, is that when we're immature, we think that joy is because of our circumstances. We think, well, if I'm going to really rejoice, if I'm going to be happy about life, and by the way, happiness and joy are two different ideas totally, but we tend to link those two things together. And we think, if I'm going to be happy about life, it has to be because my situation's really good. The problem with that thinking is that for you and I, our situation never stays good. We could be going through life today and things could be going our way. We could be having, maybe our, our marriage is, is doing really well and our kids are, are listening for once and, and, and we actually go to work and we, we get a promotion and we get a raise and, and man, everything in life is starting to fit together and it feels good and it's just one of those weeks. And then you're driving home and you get a flat tire. And like really compared to all those other things, this really isn't that big a deal. But all it takes for us to lose our happiness is for one domino to fall. And then it just feels like, man, everything else has been ruined. Even though in reality, God's doing this incredible work in my life, if one thing doesn't work out right, the feeling is lost. That's why feelings can be so dangerous. Because if I'm guided by feelings, if I'm guided by happiness, then my circumstances dictate how I feel and how I respond. So our joy can't be because of our circumstances. Now, a little bit further says that I can have joy despite my circumstances. I think there's a little bit more spiritual maturity to that when I say, listen, I'm going to have joy despite my circumstances, but there's a little bit of this martyr complex to that idea because I'm assuming going in that my circumstances are going to be all bad, and that's not the case at all, and I think sometimes I see people who mean well as believers, but they kind of get this martyr complex and say, well, my life is just going to be all full of suffering, and that's not the case at all either. 
See, I think real spiritual maturity isn't joy because of my circumstances or despite my circumstances, but joy above my circumstances. And I really think that's what Paul's going to get into as we look at Philippians chapter 1. Is that, man, regardless of what my circumstances are, whether things are really good or things are really difficult, I'm going to respond in joy. So let's pick up in Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verses 1 and 2. It says this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with overseers and deacons. And he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So what happens is Paul, by the way, being guided by the Holy Spirit in writing this, Paul writes to this church in Philippi. And he says, let me address, as what kind of was a standard greeting, let me address this greeting to the leadership of the church, assuming probably that this letter is going to be openly read in the church. But he writes to, to the servants of Jesus Christ who are with the saints in Christ Jesus who are at, at Philippi with the overseers, it's the pastors and the deacons. And he says, I, I come bringing grace. And then in verse 3, he says this, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all are making my prayer with, and we say that word, with joy. And literally what he's saying when he reads this is, when he writes this, is that every time I think of you, every time I go back and I start to pray for you, the first emotion that I have the first feeling I have is to have a feeling of, of joy. Can you imagine if that was said about any group of people? That every time I think about you, I don't think about the challenges that we faced. I don't think about the grumbling and complaining that I've heard, but that every time I think of you, every time that I start to, to pray about you and, and to remember you, my prayer is a prayer of joy. Because of, verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from, this, from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So he says, literally, here's what's happening, is I believe that God is doing a mighty work in your midst to the church. He says, I've heard great things, you're accomplishing great things, and every time I think of you, I think of the good things that are happening. And I believe, and Paul writes this, now I want you to understand, this was the founding pastor of the church. And he's writing this letter back, and everybody would have held him in high regard. And they can't wait to get this letter from Paul, and he says, okay, as they start to read the letter, they're like, man, this is awesome. Paul's looking back and remembering what it was like when he was here, but he's also getting reports while he's in prison of what's still happening. And everything he remembers and everything that he hears is bringing joy to his life. And then he says, not only do I hear great things, but that last verse. And I am sure of this. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He says, I know that what God is doing in your life that it's going to continue to work out. And ultimately, it's through Jesus at the, at the day of Christ that, that that's going to be brought to completion, but that you're going to be on this continued quest of pursuit for him. So Paul is writing saying the partnership that we have is important and unique to me because the Philippians, number one, participated in the mission when the times seemed exciting. 
Imagine for a second, Paul comes into town and, and he used to be against Christianity. In fact, he was part of the group that was killing and martyring the early Christians. And, and he comes in and he comes in with, with this passion and this fire and, and people are getting saved and people are getting healed and, and this incredible experience is taking place. And Paul says, God's going to continue to work in your life. And the Philippians said, man, let's get behind this. And they begin to support Paul. They begin to say, man, we're on board. We're on your team. We want to partner with you. We want to labor with you. We want to work towards seeing God's kingdom advanced. And as you go on this missionary journey, we have such a passion for other churches that we want to support you in launching other churches because we believe so much in that mission. So Paul writes, and it really is just kind of a standard greeting at the beginning, but it's a little bit unique in that he says that you are partnering with us when things were exciting, but a little bit more difficulty comes when you partner with us when things get challenging. When the mission starts to appear a little bit cloudy. Because the next couple of verses say this. Verses 7 and 8. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. You see the affection that he has for you all partakers with me of grace. But then he says this, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, for God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. So he says, listen, you are partnering with me when things were, were really good. You're partnering with me when the mission was clear, when things were exciting, like it was, it, was, it was a little bit easy to do that. But he said, but what I really love, where my affection rises for you, is that now that I'm in this season of difficulty, you're still there with us. See, if you could imagine, I think we see this a little bit in American culture, that we have this, this rise of kind of what's become kind of the, the, the popular or the, 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 the pastors who get a lot of notoriety and they, they get up on stage and, and they get millions of followers. And then sometimes you see those pastors who we, we, we tend to put our faith in and, and all this stuff. When they fall, there's a lot of shame that's involved in that. And we see that happen way too frequently. We see that happen where, where they make a, a bad choice and we find out that, uh, that maybe they got arrested for something or, or, or the marriage fell apart or, or they admitted that they were addicted to something they should have been addicted to. And, and we see the rise and the fall of these really prominent pastors. And what happens when we see the fall is that there's a little bit, especially if it's someone that we cared about, we thought, man, they were, they were a really good leader and, and I, I was really behind what they were doing and, and they fell and, and there's a lot of shame involved in that. Paul's encountering that a little bit. Because they, as they said, the experts that look at this, go back and, and look at what culture was like, said that, man, when Paul was in prison, it would have brought shame on the church. Even though they knew that he was doing a good thing, there were a lot of people that would have been, man, that's not what we wanted to see. This was, he was out doing the work, and now he's in jail. But Paul says, in my chains, you still show affection for me. When the, when the message and the mission is clear, it's easy to follow. When the message gets a little bit cloudy, when the mission gets a little bit more challenging, because life is like that, we all know that. Life is like that. If everything was clean and tidy and neat, man, it'd be really easy to live life. But for every one of us, life can be really difficult. And the thing is, is we can often count on, on one hand the number of people who in the midst of the cloudiest seasons of, of our lives 
that we could really count on. You see, when things are going well, when your family's going well and you're throwing parties and, and all that stuff, everybody's your friend. But when things go south, the number of people we can really count on dwindles. And Paul writes to this church at Philippi. And he says, I want to thank you for being a church that when things didn't go according to his plan, maybe, the church said, I'm still going to be backing you, I'm still going to support you, and I'm going to be there to be an encourager for you. It's a powerful lesson for the church. The mission of the church isn't for the faint of hearts. The mission of the church isn't for those who easily abandon it. The mission of the church isn't meant to be uh, for those who say, I'm, I'm kind of in this, I got one foot in and one foot out. The mission of the church is for those who say, man, I want to be bold. I want to understand what the mission is. And when the mission is clear, I'm fully on board. When the mission is cloudy, when things aren't going exactly like we'd want them to be, we're still on board because the mission is what's essential. And so Paul writes and says, it's not that I want to be in this. I don't want to be necessarily in change, but here's the thing that Paul's discovering is that I'm in prison, and we'll see this a little bit more next week, as I'm imprisoned. And by the way, this isn't how I drew it up when I was planning how my life was going to be. But as I'm imprisoned, I'm starting to discover what freedom is all about. And we're going to see in Paul's life as we go throughout this book that even though it wasn't the way he drew it up, even though it wasn't on his master plan to be imprisoned, that Paul's using the circumstances that he's currently in to reach people. And for him in his imprisonment to really start to experience what freedom is all about. He said about the church that I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And then we're going to finish out that chapter. He says, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. It isn't just this casual love to go and do whatever you want, but, but my prayer for you is that, that legitimately that, you, that the love that you have is also being wed together with wisdom and discernment, that both of those things are essential. He says, I want to make sure that you get this church, that, that, that we understand the love that Jesus has for us, but that we're also just not casually going through life saying we're going to make it up as we go, but that there's wisdom and discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. He says, church, here's what I genuinely want for you. He says, I've been with you, and this is just kind of the greeting. We're just not even getting into the, the real meat of what he's talking about. But he says, church, as I begin this letter, I want to thank you for being you. I want to thank you that when things were easy, when things were exciting, when they were passionate, that you were with me. But I'm also even more deeply indebted to you. I have a greater affection for you because when things didn't go well, when maybe some of the other churches that were supporting me, when they started to back off and say, I'm not sure what happened to Paul, but, but I'm not sure if I'm on board with that anymore. He says, even more so, you doubled down. And you sent people, you sent finances, and you sent love because you cared about the mission. Because at the end of the day, the mission is what was valuable. 
See, for most of us, we tend to follow Jesus when the calling is comfortable. We tend to follow Jesus when it doesn't require sacrifice or as, as long as it doesn't infringe on our way of, of living. But the Philippians say, man, we want to understand what it truly means to follow Jesus. That obedience is often found in our sacrifice because, because we believe that when the mission is really powerful, like we saw what Jesus did and we've heard stories about his resurrection and, and, and we want to be a part of, of how he worked. And then I saw Paul come in and, and he taught with such passion and, and vigor and even how he writes is so different. He says, I want to be a part of that because the mission is what's valuable. So there's a group of people, a church, that gathered together and said, we believe and love this mission. And so literally, as we look at Philippians to start off today, Philippians is this joyous expression of love and affection for a church, despite the fact that his situation wouldn't have dictated him to be living a life of joy. Paul says, my expression is going to be a joyous expression, because in the midst of a situation that I didn't dream of, God has brought me freedom. For some of us this morning as we launch into the series, we have been trying to do our thing. Maybe we tiptoe into what it means to have a relationship with God and, and we say, man, I, I want to I I really have the feeling without the sacrifice. I want to live life my way and, and, and yet still have this, this feeling of what it means to follow Jesus and, and, and those two things don't go together. She's living today in a way that brings sacrifice that long term brings freedom. We can live freely today and pay the debt for that tomorrow. Or we can buckle down now and say, God, we want to build up in our lives a consistent lifestyle of sacrifice. That, man, when we have a chance to impact people's lives around us, to build up God's kingdom in, in investing in people's lives, that we're willing to take that significant step we're willing to sacrifice because the inverse to the conversation we had earlier that, that if, if today, if the freedom that we think we're experiencing today brings shackles tomorrow, if we sacrifice today, it brings absolute freedom tomorrow. And along the way, as Paul's starting to discover, it starts to bring freedom even right now. See, the people that I've encountered in my life most frequently, that are living in freedom are not people that have a whole lot. They're people who say, the only thing that I have really is, is love. And I'm going to pass it out as generously as I can. And the more they do that, the more they stop living for themselves, it doesn't just bring satisfaction long term. It brings satisfaction right now. It brings contentment. It brings freedom. As we've had a chance to go on different mission trips and see different parts of the world and just to see uh, Christians responding in different settings, the people in every culture that we've been in, that are the people that are experiencing the most freedom, are the people that are living in the deepest sacrifice. Paul says, listen, right now in my life, I'm imprisoned. That wasn't my plan but in the midst of this imprisonment, I am discovering a freedom unlike I've ever experienced. And we'll get a chance to talk about that a little bit more starting next week. Let's pray together.
God, we are firm believers and we say this all the time. This idea of following Jesus isn't just about making our lives better. He does that, there's no doubt. But following Jesus doesn't just make our lives better, but he also makes us better at life. God, I believe coming in here this morning that there was a lot of celebration, there's a lot of uh, jubilation at, at seeing what you're doing. But God, there's also a lot of heartache, a lot of pain, and a lot of people that just need to experience your touch in your presence. God, for the person this morning that doesn't know Jesus, not just have a casual knowledge of him, but doesn't actually know him, to experience his goodness and to have him as savior and as friend. God, we exist to allow people to take next steps with Jesus. So for the person that doesn't know him, I pray this morning that they would come to know who Jesus is. They'd come to realize that his sacrifice on the cross was meant to pay the price that we are supposed to pay. And that his resurrection brings hope that through him we can conquer death. God, for the person that doesn't know Jesus, I pray today would be the day that they encounter him. They'd realize his goodness and his love for them that they call upon him to be saved. And God, for those of us who maybe have been journeying with Jesus for a while, it's really easy in our consumer culture to get caught up in wanting more and more stuff because we think in the stuff we experience freedom. But God, often what we want isn't what we need. God, we desire freedom. And freedom comes through sacrifice. God, remind us of our mission. Remind us of our purpose this morning. And as we leave here, I pray that we are not just consumers in this world, but God, you'd make us to be contributors. That we'd love the way that Jesus loved. That we'd serve the way that he served. And that because of him, not because of us, but because of him, we'd be able to make a difference. God, let us live in sacrifice now so that we can experience freedom now and in the future. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.